I don't fault any of them who believe that they're much more progressive and much more liberal. God bless them. And all they need to do is we have to elect more, I guess, for them to get theirs, elect more liberals. For once, I agree with Joe Manchin. Elect more liberals. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California, on KFOI, Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN. Palinville, New York, WLPP, Rochester, New York, WRFZ, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Ooh. Blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today you got me again. I'm Nicole Sandler. I host the Nicole Sandler Show, based at NicoleSandler.com, and I invite you to go there and peruse it and look around and listen to your heart's content, and hopefully you try it, you'll like it. All right, I've rushed through the intro today because we've got a really busy show. I'm going to leave the discussion of the BIF and the reconciliation package and the debt limit and all of that stuff for Brad to get to when he returns for the next episode. Instead, I'm going to bring you down here to where I live, Florida. Ready? Please don't let me die in Florida. I don't care about my name. If you kiss me dying in Daytona, oh my bed on to a train. You're listening to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler filling in today for Brad and Desi. And coming to you from South Florida, which has been one of the COVID hotspots in the nation, thanks to the Trump impersonator in the governor's office. Ron DeSantis really is reprehensible. So the first order of business here in the Sunshine State is to replace him. Death sentence, as many of us down here refer to him for obvious reasons, is up for re-election next year. The question is, who should the Democrats run against him? Though it's likely that more candidates will join the race, right now there are two. Then-Republican, former Florida Governor Charlie Crist, who now represents Florida's 13th district in Congress as a Democrat. And Florida's current Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services, Nikki Freed, currently the only Democrat in the state's executive branch. They both joined me on my show over the last week or so. I thought today would be a good chance to share both of those conversations back-to-back to give you an idea of Florida's chances to remove the duh from Florida. We'll go in chronological order. I spoke with Nikki Freed on August 20th, 
after starting out commiserating about both being named Nicole, and yes, I was a Nikki when I was younger, we moved on to more important issues. A lot of people who are listening maybe don't know you. You are the Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services here in Florida. That's sort of a weird combination, is it? Agriculture and Consumer Services, why do they go together? Yeah, so there's like some history on this. Uh, so the ag commissioner is in our constitution and when they had over time kind of changed the makeup of the cabinet, um, they got rid of some positions. And so over time, they kept trying to figure out, well, who was going to be responsible for this activity or who's responsible for that one. And they, the, at the time there was an ag commissioner who kept just raising his hand and said, we'll take it over here. And so they expanded, um, this position to not just be agriculture, but agriculture consumer services. The other aspect of it is, um, there were some times when there was a threat to taking it out of the constitution. Um, and so the ag community felt, well, maybe if we just create such a big position with so many responsibilities, um, that will help us keep uh, the commissioner of agriculture as a constitutional officer. Did you have any involvement with the world of agriculture before taking on this position? Well, I came from the marijuana space. Oh, uh, okay. So, I, <laughs> so that's kind of where my, my ag background comes from is uh, I was very involved in the medical marijuana program here in the state of Florida. Um, also one of the lead um, just government consultants across the country on this issue. Uh, so I do fundamentally believe that the future of agriculture is the cannabis plant. Uh, and so feeling that that's kind of where the synergy had come from um, when I decided to run for ag commissioner. And I love hearing that. I'm astounded. Look, we live in the sunshine state. Things grow here like we Weeds, go figure. Weed, weeds. The fact that we're not growing it and taxing it and making a fortune and filling our coffers is frankly astounding to me. This sounds like a no-brainer to me, but hey, we were on the road to getting close to having recreational marijuana on the ballot, and then all of a sudden we're not. What happened with that? Uh, yeah, it's on. Fortunate, uh, the Supreme Court kicked the ballot initiative, two of them, actually, there was two ballot initiatives that were being worked on one that basically regulated it uh, no different than they do alcohol. So basically, like you see the alcohol stores and licensing underneath that. Uh, the other one was a, a more restricted program, but still allowing for access and for legalization. Um, the Supreme Court kicked both of those initiatives out. Um, obviously, I do not agree with that ruling by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and, you know, just a little concerned about some of the rulings coming out of the Supreme Court. There is another initiative, though, uh, that just popped last week um, that is really more towards um, legalizing home grow um, and allowing each person uh, in a household to have nine plants to grow at home. Yes. And if there's two adults, then it's 18 plants that are allowed in the household and also allowing for, for uh, possession. So basically completely decriminalizing possession charges. Um, so that's right out there. So definitely everybody look for your mailboxes. I think that they're going to be mailing them out. Uh, and so if not, you can certainly go online and find it and sign the petition uh, and hope that the Supreme Court won't kick this one um, off the ballot as well. That would be great. But marijuana is not the only issue facing us here in Florida. I think it's a big one. And I'm glad to know you're on the right side, though. I got to say, you released your financial disclosure forms just a couple of weeks ago. The media made a big deal out of it. It was a month or two late. It does show you have a big stake in one of the big uh, medical marijuana firms. Is that a conflict of interest at all? Not at all. Uh, first of all, it's a very, very small. Uh, okay. <laughs> these companies are, are really large. Yes. I have 
604 shares of a publicly traded company. Um, and so first of all, I do not regulate medical marijuana. So we can always start there that I have no regulatory oversight that's underneath Department of Health. Um, so there is no conflict of interest. Nothing that I could do inside the Department of Agriculture would have any impact um, on the stocks of, of, of these companies. And two, what I've said very publicly, that if given the, the opportunity to be the next governor of the state of Florida, where I would regulate, um, I, I would be selling my shares be way beforehand. So okay. there would be no conflict. Um, even though part of what we do as elected officials, we have to disclose this information, but there's nothing in ethics laws or anything of that nature uh, that says we can't own, you know, stocks. I mean, look at look at Rick Scott. I mean, how much? Oh, my he, God. You know, he, he ran, you know, look at his portfolio. He had stocks and everything that he oversaw. So even if that was the case, we would create such a buffer um, between myself and any involvement with the cannabis space um, that there would be no inherent conflict. Um, but just to even deal with the, taking it out of anybody's conversations, um, we would sell, I would sell my shares way before I became actually in, in this, installed as governor. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Let's talk about some of the other things. You just um, got this position. You were elected in 2018, but that was the first time you had ever run for office. Yes. Yes. And so what were you doing before then? <laughs> I was I'm a practicing attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been practicing law for about 15 years, uh, everywhere from South Florida to Central Florida to North Florida, everything from uh, a big silk stocking law firm, which was atrocious, did that for a year. Uh, great people. But that was not why I went to law school and to law school to give back and to do good. I uh, then went to the public defender's office where I was in Alachua County for three and a half years and then eventually made my way back to South Florida. Uh, and then prior to actually running, I was doing government consulting. I was representing Broward School Board, uh, which I'm doing again today. So I never left that hat, a uh, different type of representing them, but fighting with them along the way. Uh, fighting for our foster care children, represent an organization that is the voice of our foster care kids in Tallahassee and the medical marijuana space. Um, so that was what I was doing before I ran in 2018 and, and took that courageous move to, to give my, my private life away and, and to uh, give my life over to public service. And uh, don't regret a single minute of it. So you want to make the jump from attorney to agriculture commissioner to governor. What makes you qualified to be governor of the state of Florida? Well, first of all, um, you know, being again, a Floridian my entire life, um, being a diehard, you know, I've been an activist for, for issues my entire life. I was fighting for uh, gay pride back in, in high school and uh, doing Habitat for Humanity and soup kitchens. And so I am passionate um, about what it is that we need to be doing here in the state. Uh, now, as commissioner, I have been in the executive position and running an agency of 4,600, wow. um, have $1.3 billion um, budget. Uh, so as far as my executive experience, I'm a small business owner, so I have also real life experience. And you know what? To be governor, you know what you need to know most qualifi- qualifying aspect of being governor? What? You have to care. <laughs> you have to care for the people that you govern. Yeah. That is that should be our number one qualifier for governor is do you actually care about the people that you are planning on serving? Um, I guess that should bring us to talking about the guy currently holding the office, Ron DeSantis. Now, I have fun with his name all the time, but let's get serious here. Actually, when he was running four years ago, he was not the favorite. The favorite on the Republican side was Adam Putnam, who I believe, wasn't he the ag commissioner? 
He was. He was. Yep. And he had been groomed to move up and be governor until, of course, Donald Trump comes in, starts talking about this backbencher congressman, Ron DeSantis, and it endorsed him. And all of a sudden he shoots up and Adam Putnam is never to be heard from again. I'm not saying whether Adam Putnam would have been a well, I think anyone would have been better than Ron DeSantis. But this is historically one of the routes taken up through the channels on the way to governor. Charlie Crist, who's the other Democrat running in the race, actually was governor. And on his way to becoming governor, he was attorney general of the state of Florida. Then I guess he decided he wanted to go to the Senate, which was a mistake on his part. I guess Charlie Crist always is looking for the next job. And he wound up getting just pilloried, uh, I think, due to the Tea Party movement. So he became an independent. And then eventually he became a Democrat. And now he's running for governor again, this time as a Democrat. Why are you better suited for this job than Charlie Crist? You know, look, uh, my tagline for my campaign is something new. Uh, and that's what we in the state of Florida need. This is what the Democratic Party wants. They want a fresh face, fresh perspective. Um, somebody who's a winner, um, as somebody who is the only one who has won statewide as a Democrat uh, in this race. Um, and the people want to win. And the other thing that that makes me qualified um, and why I will will be the Democratic nominee is I've been a Democrat my entire life. Mm. Uh, what you are hearing today and, and people are seeing I'm the same person that I was back in high school and middle school and elementary school. The same issues that I have been fighting for my entire life are the same issues that I stand up for today, whether it is abortion rights, whether it's criminal justice reform, whether it's medical marijuana, marijuana legalization, whether it's fighting food insecurity and affordable housing. These are issues that I have been in the trenches on, not just policy points that I decided to talk about because I'm running for office. This is why I decided to run, because these are things that have been part of who I am. And in the Jewish faith, which is what I am, we call it tikkun olam, to heal the world. And that is part ingrained in my soul. Um, everything I do, I wake up every day and say, how can I make the world a better place? And, and that's why you know, when people are, are making a decision on the Democratic primary, they're going to want somebody who is honest. They're going to want somebody who is dedicated to their convictions, um, somebody who is a fighter, a fierce fighter. I don't turn down challenges. Um, I, I don't jump from position to position. I'm not a, a lifetime politician. I can honestly tell the people of the state of Florida, I have no desire to be president. <laughs> I have no desire, uh, you know, to do anything else besides govern our state. Um, this is it. I, I'm not, I'm not looking to you. Okay. If I don't win this time, I'll run next time. No, I, I am passionate about this job, this time frame, this position, because we are in a crisis in our country and in our state. And so people of our state need to decide what side of history are you going to be on? Oh, yeah. Are you going to continue to fight for democracy and the things that we hold true in our state and create history, not only fight for history, create history with the first female governor of our state. And so when I have no doubt that when the Democrats have to make that choice in the ballot box, they will know that we need to try something new and that we need to have a, a true winner and fighter in our court. Uh, this is going to be a fight that we have never had before in, in this race. Um, there's going to be more money flowing into the state of Florida than we have oh, ever yeah. seen before, more attention on this race than we've ever seen before. And so we need somebody who is battle-tested, 
who is able to take on Ron DeSantis. Um, I make him squirm. Uh, he makes he is prone to making mistakes, and I am prone to capitalizing on the mistakes that he makes. Um, so that's why I'm the best suited to be that Democratic nominee uh, and to fight head on with Ron DeSantis. Nikki Freed is our guest. Again, she's running for governor here in the state of Florida. Find her website at NikkiFreed.com, spelled fried, really, F-R-I-E-D. And on Twitter, same way, at Nikki Freed. All right, so Ron DeSantis, Florida's been a mess for a while, but he's made it ridiculous mess. And there's nothing funny about it. COVID is raging here, even though people are denying it. Not only does he refuse any kind of mask mandates or vaccine mandates or to ask for a vaccine passport, but he ruled unilaterally, I guess, that no school board or any other entity in the state could initiate a mask mandate. Well, many school districts did. You mentioned you represent Broward County. I live in Broward County. I went to Broward County public schools from middle school on up. Where did you grow up? Miami. So I went to Miami. Miami. Okay, so I I went to Hollywood Hills High School. So Broward County and Alachua County, you mentioned up in Gainesville area, were the first two to say, hold on, our kids are at risk here. We are going to institute a mask mandate. To make a long story short, DeSantis decided he's going to find, first he said he's going to fine the school board members $5,000 each if they institute this. Now he's saying he's going to fine individuals. What What is he doing? He came up with this rule um, and that he had an executive order that said that, yes, school districts uh, could not have a mask requirement, mask mandate. And so we saw what happened. And, you know, I was a part of that big fight. Um, because I saw what was going on and told our school boards that I was going to get their back. And that's what we did. We called the White House and called the administration and said, this is what is happening in the state of Florida. We need help. And you saw almost days after my call to the White House that both President Biden and his press secretary came out in very strong support and said, look, if we, we are not going to let that happen. And so has, in fact, created a grant program for each school district and school board members to apply that if, in fact, he withholds money, which is now what he's threatening, um, to withhold their funds that equivalent to their salaries. So it's bad enough that he creates an executive order that he didn't have the power to create to begin with. Then right. has now gone out of his way to use taxpayer dollars um, to litigate this issue and continue to litigate this issue. Yep. But it's also now going to be withholding money. And so thank you, President Biden, for stepping up and helping us. What he now has taken is the next step is that we have, um, they passed a law this past session that says that no employer and no company can ask for, you know, they're calling it a, a, you know, COVID passport. Right. I will, I I don't want to give into what they're saying. So it's, you know, requiring the people to show that they have been vaccinated. Right. And, And so they are not allowed to do that which again is crazy. We're in the middle of a healthcare crisis. And most importantly, whatever happened to free market? Um, I was talking to a gentleman earlier today who owns barbecue restaurants all across the state of Florida. And I said to him, I said, look, if you so choose to want to make, you know, having vaccines for your your patrons and know that you're going to lose 10 or 15% of your business to the sunniest down the road, that's a business decision that is on you to make. It's not the government's decision. It should be you as a business owner. But now what he's done, and so that law did not touch employees, but now he's saying, wait a sec. And he actually has a press conference back in the day when this bill was passed that said it did not impact employees. Um, And that was, that was a 
personal decision and government shouldn't be involved in that. And now he's coming out and saying for any every government agency, both as a school district, hospitals, um, law enforcement, um, first responders, and then local governments puts in any requirement that their employers, employees get vaccinated, each incident. $5,000. $5,000 fine. Unbelievable. Um, it's just unbelievable. It is stunning to me. And I walk around and I hear people regurgitating lies, stuff that's just simply not true. And they're getting it from this man. Um, Nikki Fried, now I, I heard you're you're not in favor of mask mandates, are you? So what I am in favor of is, you know, first of all, I, I called for mask mandate last year. Um, I was very fr- in front of, of the issue and said that that was really important. And I continue to say that we have to be masking. We have to follow the CDC guidelines. And the CDC guidelines, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. And if you are indoors, you should be masking That's up. That's right. So I have said very clearly that we need to be following the CDC okay. guidelines, which would be masking up everywhere in turn, inside, including in our schools. But I've also said that I believe in our local electeds, both on our city and county commissioners and our school boards to be follow, to be doing what is right for their communities and given the power to do that. Because look, at the end of the day, it was our county and city commissioners last year that all stepped up to the plate and got us through this pandemic. It was our business community and our local electeds, not the governor, the right. governor ran in. He, he, he hid behind everything and did, it was like, oh, I don't know what to do here and, and allowed our locals to do it. And they did. And they stepped up and it was seamless. This time around, he wants all the power and doesn't want our local governments to do it. So I have been trying to empower our local governments. Um, they're the ones who are closest to the people. And that's where government should be is closest to the people. They know their communities the best. And, and that's really where any kinds of requirements should be. But I, I've been very staunch on saying we need to be following the CDC guidelines, which is masking Good. up. In- okay. Good to know. We've only got a few minutes left and there, I have a million more questions for you. So maybe we can get together again. But I want to ask about redistricting because that's coming up. And back uh, 10 years ago here in Florida, we passed a constitutional amendment, Fair Districts Florida, to have the congressional districts, all districts drawn by an independent, nonpartisan um, committee. And that hasn't happened. It's all still very partisan. And here we go again. They're getting ready to redraw the districts, despite the fact that there are more registered Democrats in the state of Florida. Republicans control the legislature. What's going to happen here and what should happen? I'm very nervous. Um, I'm very nervous. I've talked to uh, our leadership in the House and the Senate. I've talked to our party leadership. Um, I've talked to grassroots organizations, to labor organizations. Um, and it, this is going to be an all-on assault of, of and be a gerrymandering at its worst. And so what they, we have also seen is that there's also no transparency. Um, so there's not, they're not having hearings. They, even in, in 10 years ago, um, you know, they went around the state and still had workshops and still had hearings. They have no intention of doing that this time around. And, and so I have said very clearly to all of my contemporaries in the Democratic Party and activists and grassroots organizations that we need to be getting that message out now. The message is very clear. This is going to be a partisan-driven process, and it's not going to be transparent and they are going to gerrymander these districts against the Constitution. And unfortunately, we don't have the courts. Um, the courts are not going to fare in a fair way, unfortunately. And the Supreme Court is more likely than not going to back up the, the, the maps that are coming out of, of the legislature. 
So this is something that we, the people need to be talking about, getting in front of, be messaging with our, our, our elected officials on the Senate and the House and tell them that that's not okay. And even if, this is what I keep saying too, even if the worst case outcome happens and they gerrymander these districts, we have got to vote like we have never voted before. And the NPAs that are out there are going to be the ones who have to help us hold them accountable and elect them out of office. But we're going to need everybody to understand. NPAs, no party affiliation. Independence. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Just making sure everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. And that we are going to need our our non, our, you know, our non-party voters out there to stand up and say enough is enough. Enough of not following the Constitution, enough of not following the statutes, enough of creating a state that is only um, there to help the top one percenters and the people that are staying in power. And and they've got to stand up. And there's a reason why that they are NPAs, because they are tired of all of this. Right. And they don't want to pick a party. So it's time to send the party that has been in office for 25 straight years packing because they are not following the rules anymore. Well, let me tell you something from a, a registered Democrat. Who is because uh, the alternative is so much worse. But the Democratic Party here in Florida is um, ineffective at best. And I'm being really generous here. I have a foul potty mouth, but I'm I, I'm <laughs> respecting who I have on with me, and I'm not going there. But I I actually ran. I became a precinct committee person to help um, a progressive influx of voices into the Florida Democratic Party. The Florida Democratic Party has done everything they can to diss the progressive wing. They elected Manny Diaz as chair of the Democratic Party of Florida, who is the last person who should have a role in in certainly Democratic Party politics, but any politics. I'm so disgusted with the party. It is dysfunctional on its best day and horrific on its worst. In fact, Manny Diaz took it upon himself to put out a press release excoriating the progressive caucus inside the Florida Democratic Party rather than dealing with moving forward. I'm hoping if you get in there, you will somehow take control of the Democratic Party and whip it into shape because that's another, I'm sorry, it's not working well for you, for any of us right now. Yeah, the, the, and, and there is a huge problem. And I think that part of the problem is this. We haven't had, you know, and I came in and I have been very honest to you about this. I didn't wear, I've been a Democrat my entire life, but I haven't been involved in the Democratic Party. So my, when I first came into office, um, I didn't know a lot of the party leaders. I didn't know the, the chairs of, of each of the counties and the clubs. And so I spent a lot of time the last two and a half years getting ingratiated with everybody, learning who everybody is, who, what, what is the background of some of the party stuff? And so it has been really important for me to, to get that ground because you are right that there is such dysfunction within the party. Um, and, and so I spent a lot of time on the phones, especially after November of 2020, listening and talking and, and giving them advice and suggestions about how to organize, how to fundraise, how to make sure that we are not going to the voters just before an election. That's not a winning combination. We got to be constantly you know, going to the communities, going and talking to them and doing what I'm calling value added. You know, go if it's Broward County, Broward should be doing beach cleanups every other mm-hmm. weekend. They should be building Habitat for Humanities. If, if you're on the West Coast, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. How are we as Democrats showing the people of our state that we care more about 
about them and the communities than we care about winning an election. And so the only way that we're going to win is to make people truly understand that we as a party care about their, their lives, care about making sure that there's food on their plates, that there's home, that there's roofs over their heads, that they've got, you know, a good paying jobs and showing that support on the local level consistently. So what I have said, it's, it's all about the message. It's having a consistent message consistently messaging and trusted messengers. And, and until the Democratic Party can figure out how to get that right, and I certainly hope that I am the conduit to make that happen in, in November of 2022. I've got uh, not to be on, on air kind of conversation, but certainly I've got a game plan of how we're going to win in November and how to make sure that we are building our bench and how we are organizing like we have never organized in the state. And it's going to take a leader um, that truly understands all of that to bring everybody together and start turning the page uh, of this um, and bringing our party together. There shouldn't be internal fighting within the party. And unfortunately, <laughs> that, right, that, that, right. that, that happens. Um, and, and so we need a trusted leader to bring everybody together. Um, and, and so, you know, given that, that I, you know, we'll, we'll be the, the, the nominee in, in August and then win in November, um, then we will be able to truly create a, a party that is sustainable and aren't turning over new leaders every two years, which is what gotcha. has happened um, and not have an internal structure in place. All right. Nikki Freed is currently Florida's Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services. She's a candidate in the Democratic primary to replace Ron DeSantis as governor next November. You can find her at Nikki Freed, N-I-K-K-I-F-R-I-E-D dot com. Up next, my conversation with Charlie Crist, a former Republican governor of Florida, currently the Democratic congressman representing Florida's 13th congressional district, who's trying to take back his old office, but this time as a Democrat. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your broadcast guest host today. And in case you didn't know, I live in South Florida. I was born in New York and spent much of my professional life in Los Angeles. But my family moved to South Florida when I was just a kid. And I returned here about 15 years ago. So I do have some history with the state. When I moved back to Florida in the early 2000s, Charlie Crist was the Republican Attorney General who was then running for governor. He joined me on my show this past Tuesday as he attempts to get back his old job. I'm pleased to welcome the man who was the 44th governor of Florida, right? 44th, wasn't it? Uh, governor right. Crist. Well, and and yep. now a congressman representing Florida's 13th congressional district who's running for governor again. Congressman, Governor, what do I call you? Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. Just call me Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Well, welcome Please. to the show. You don't remember, though we have met before. When I first moved back to Florida back in 2004, I believe you were attorney general and running oh, for governor at the time, and then you became governor. At the time, I worked for a little while at WFTL and then with Jim DeFeedy over at WINZ when South Florida sure. still had a progressive talk station. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. That's true. 
Yeah. And that's I'm, wonderful. Right. So it's been a while. I've watched. We got some history. That's a good thing. We do have some history. So I was not born here. I was born in New York, but my family right. moved down here when I was 11. So I went to middle school, high school, and college all in Florida. I went to graduated from USF in your neck of the woods. And so, you know, I'm pretty dug into Florida politics as much as one can be. And so we've watched the changes. Now, it's funny. When I used to work with Jim DeFeedy, he Mm -hmm. called you the best Democratic governor that Florida's had in a while. And of course, you were a Republican at the time. You know, I got to tell you the truth, Nicole. I've had many friends say to me when I was still a Republican, Charlie, you're a Democrat. You just don't know it. Hmm. And now I know it. And, uh, I'm very happy being a Florida Democrat, really am. Well, but let's start with that. You were a Republican. You worked your way up. I think you were uh, Secretary of Education, then became Attorney General, then became Governor, now Member of Congress. Through your governor term, you were a Republican. Why were you a Republican? What was it about the Republican Party that made you identify with them? You know, I was a Republican because mom and dad were. It's the same reason I'm a Methodist, because mom and dad are. And, you know, that's the way it was for a while. And then, you know, when I got elected governor, that was 2006. And um, toward the end of that term, 2009, 2010, was the rise of the Tea Party in the Mm -hmm. Republican Party, uh, started moving harder and harder to the right. And I developed a a good working relationship with then President Barack Obama, obviously a Democrat. And I was still a Republican at the time. And I can remember him wanting to come to Florida, Nicole. It's a short story, I promise. Oh, but it's okay. He was coming to Fort Myers in like February of 09, in the middle of the Great Recession. And so we get a call in my office in Tallahassee inviting me to go uh, to be with the president. And mm-hmm. so some staff members came into my office. They shared that information with me. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And then they said to me, Governor, are you sure? And I said, yeah, why do you ask? They said, well, you know, he's a Democrat. <laughs> I said, he's the president of the United States of America uh-huh. he's coming here to help Florida and our country get out of this economic tailspin that we're in. And please let the White House know that I will be there. And so I go and uh, we're at the Fort Myers uh, Convention Center downtown right on the river. And I'm downstairs in the area where his car drove in like a garage type area, the big black Cadillac, right? He's in the back seat. He motions to me when the car stops to come back to him. So I do. He opens the door. He moves over to the other side of the back of the car and says, please have a seat for a minute, Charlie. I want to, you know, tell you a few things. I said, "Okay." And he says, you know, a couple of things. Number one, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. And I said, I'm honored to be here. He goes, you are going to take a lot of grief for having been here today. I said, well, I don't know about that. He goes, trust me, you will. (laughs) Uh But he said, since you are here, he said, would you mind introducing me today? And I said, no, that would be an honor as well. I'd be more than happy to do it. So I said, well, you know, we'll go in there. It's going to be loud. Be ready. These are my people. Go up to the podium. Just say whatever is on your heart and your mind about me, about the Recovery Act, the stimulus, as it's known as. I'll come up and I'll say my thing and that'll be it. Is that all right? I said, you're the commander in chief. That's fine. So I go up to the podium and I gave what I thought was a proper introduction for our president and concluded by saying, please give a warm Florida welcome to President Barack Obama. He comes up to the lectern, Mm -hmm. he shakes my hand, then he hugs me. Yeah, and in fact, (laughs) here's the picture. That is the hug. And, you know, like I say, somebody took a picture of it, and that was kind of it for me as a Republican office holder. And I'll tell you something, I don't think it was just because I was willing to work with a Democratic president. 
I was also working with the first black president. Oh, yes. And it saddens me to say that. And I don't want to paint too broad a brush here, Nicole. I mean, there's a lot of good Republicans, so believe me. But there is that element within the party. And it broke my heart. And that's when I decided I'm out of here. Uh, this is not how I was raised. My mom and dad raised me and my three sisters to respect all people, regardless of where they're from or what they look like or what their background is. And so that kind of was the beginning of becoming then an independent uh, and then ultimately a Democrat. Now, when you were governor, you were a Republican. I wasn't your biggest supporter. You stood up for the teachers. And that won a lot of people over. I know my sister's a teacher and she's like, I have to vote for him. He stood up for us. When you see what Ron DeSantis is doing now with, you know, docking the pay of administrators who might try to enforce a mask mandate, try to protect our kids. And it just goes on and on. It's it's appalling. It's appalling. And 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 it's beyond the pale. I can't even believe we're watching this and, and experiencing it. And, and what else that I think is weird about it? I mean, this is a fellow who went to Harvard and Yale. And so you would assume, you know, would have a certain level of intellect. You would think. And yet, you know, these policies of not listening to science, not listening to physicians, not adhering to what healthcare professionals are telling us is the right thing to do in order to keep our children safe in school and our teachers safe in the same uh, classroom. It, it's, it's remarkable to me. And, and the only way I can explain it uh, and I'm not even sure it does, is that I think he is so laser focused on re- trying to get the Republican nomination for president 2024 that he's completely forgotten about Florida. He is playing and pandering to one base, and it's the hard right conservative wacko base, if you will, uh, of today's Republican Party. And it just it defies logic. It doesn't make sense. And it's killing people in our state. And I'll give you one example, not a death, but a bad situation, and it's personal. So I live in St. Petersburg, Mm. near where USF is, as you know. And my niece goes to school. She's five years old. She's in elementary school. They started a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And in Pinellas County, there's no mask mandate. So what happens? She gets COVID. (gasps) And then she brings it home. She's five years old, right? So her younger sister, my two-month-old <gasps> niece, gets COVID oh, no. this last week. I mean, that's what's happening all over Florida because of bad leadership, because of leadership by the governor that is not listening to science. And, you know, my dad's a physician. You talked about your sister being a teacher. I stood up for teachers. Two of my three sisters were public school teachers. So I'm a public school kid. You know, I went to St. Petersburg High School. I went to elementary school. They're all public school the whole way through mm-hmm. and graduated Florida State University. So, you know, that's where my heart is. That's where my passion is. And I want to fight for teachers. And of course, I always will. And I want to fight for the environment and things that are being neglected. Women's rights. My God, they're under assault now, too. Voters' rights, civil rights. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's unbelievable. Right. Well, we've got a lot of problems here in Florida. So, Charlie, let's talk about some of them. You mentioned um, women's rights. Let's just start there because under DeSantis, they've introduced legislation in Florida. I don't know how because they're not in session now, but they've introduced a bill to basically do the same thing that they did in Texas, a heartbeat bill, which is a misnomer because it's not a heartbeat. It's six at six weeks. It's a electrical impulse or something. But um, in Florida, really? I know it's horrible. It's horrible. And, and, you know, I told you I was raised with three sisters. And so my respect for women 
was in my DNA as a kid. And, you know, the, the notion that these men in Tallahassee are going to tell women what to do with their body is uh, appalling to me. You know, we're all children of God. And, and I think that we all deserve mutual respect literal respect. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that a woman should be able to make her own decision about her own body at any time, you know, maybe consulting with her physician or her family, what have you, but not her government. Um, and the DeSantis is going after that now, uh, went after voters' rights earlier, signing a bill last spring that said it's going to be harder to do mail-in ballots than it was before. Shoot, my 89-year-old father, my 86-year-old mother, love to utilize mail-in ballots. It's I use mail-in ballots. <laughs> I love myself. it too. It's great. And particularly during a pandemic, yes. it was smart mm -hmm. that we had that. Now they're going to make it harder. And, and the irony is, is that the governor said after the last election last November, what a great election it was. And so then they go to work in the legislative session trying to fix a problem we don't even have. Exactly. Why? To suppress the vote. I mean, it's discrimination. It's appalling what they're doing. And I hope that that will get thrown out in court. Right. And I think I remember you extended early voting hours, if I'm not mistaken, in Florida to accommodate people who wanted to vote. Exactly. You extended no, voting no hours. I did. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Short story again. That was 2008, Barack Obama's first election. Right. So he's running against John McCain. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the close of the election with early voting going on, Huge lines across the state of Florida, people trying to vote, a lot of them seniors. And, you know, it's Florida. So in late October, it's still hot. Oh, yeah. And so I get a call from Dan Gelber, now mayor of Miami, Miami Beach, Beach. Yeah. who was then a state senator. Mm -hmm. And he calls me up and he says, uh, Governor, you know, you got to do something about this. I'm sure you can watch in Tallahassee on the news and see these long lines we're suffering from in South Florida. These people need to be able to vote. And I said, well, Dan, what do you think I can do? He goes, you could sign an executive order if you're willing to extend the hours of early voting. And I said, I don't know, do I have the authority to do that? And I asked my general counsel, I said, do I have the authority to do that as governor unilaterally? And the general counsel to the governor told me, I don't think you do because it has to be an emergency situation to sign an executive order like that. And I said, well, I'm a lawyer too. In fact, I used to be attorney general. Let's mm -hmm. talk about this for a minute. We're talking about people not being able to vote in a democracy in a presidential election. That's if an emergency. Vote, right. That sounds like, thank you, an emergency. So I said, please go draft it. I'm going to sign it. And within hours after that, we had longer hours uh, for people to be able to vote in Florida. Yeah. I mean, welcome people to vote. Encourage democracy. They're trying to suppress democracy and hurt the vote. And that's just wrong. You were governor. Your term ended in 2010, right? right. And right. that's when you decided you were going to run for the Senate. Right. And we wound up with Rick Scott as governor. Yeah. Now, as bad as Ron DeSantis is, Rick Scott, um, yeah. Voldemort was my nickname for him. And because <laughs> it fits, it just, you know, physically it works. Yeah. But do you regret that now, not staying in the governor's office, which probably would have been a safe bet for re-election, I would think, unless the yeah, Obama well, hug was that, so detrimental. I'm asked that a fair amount. And, and no, I don't regret it because the rationale behind doing it for me was pretty simple. As we stated earlier and talked about, 
that was right when the Great Recession was hitting Florida and, and the country. And most of the money that was coming to the rescue to help us, I, I referenced the Recovery Act. Yep. That was $12 billion to Florida. That came from the federal government. That came from the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives. And I knew that if we we're going to get more help, that's where it was going to have to come from, because that's where they print the money, not in Tallahassee, in Washington. So, no, I don't regret having, trying to do that. I wanted to do it to help my Florida. But then we wound up with Rick Scott. Blew my mind that he was elected, but the most unsympathetic, unattractive character. I'm not talking physical here. I'm talking about everything about him. His persona, everything was just so standoffish. And why the people voted for him, I don't understand. And then we got Marco Rubio in the Senate. We got hit from both sides, a double whammy, and it to the detriment of this state over the last decade. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. Uh, that certainly is a fact. And now we have Ron DeSantis. Yeah. And so I think hard as I thought this would be, it's even gotten worse. Yes. Um, you know, he is worse. There's no question. And that's why I'm running for governor, because it breaks my heart to see what's happened to our Florida. I know Florida's people are good, decent, hardworking people, like the many teachers that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, firefighters, law enforcement officers. You know, there's a lot of good people in the Sunshine State, and they deserve better. And that's why I'm running for governor, to give them a choice, to give them an option. Because what we have now is don't, they, he doesn't have their back. Right. He doesn't have my two-month-old niece's back, no. let alone you know people that work for the state. And they're not being informed about people in those agencies that might be testing positive for right. COVID. Or kids that go to school. If a kid is exposed, they don't even have to tell that child's parents that your child was exposed to COVID to give them the chance to pull the kid out of school or whatever. So let's talk about healthcare for a moment though. Rick Scott was in office (laughs) during the whole Obamacare fight and when the Affordable Care Act was passed, it became law, turned down the Medicaid expansion. And thankfully we do have, uh, it's the only reason I'm alive is access to the Affordable Care Act because I'm a lung cancer survivor and as an independent radio host, I was unable to buy insurance on the open market. So there's that. God bless you for that, yes. So it's far from perfect. I would like to see Medicare for all. I'm curious as to where you are. I support a public option, much in the same way President Biden does. And I, I think it's important to give more healthcare coverage to more people. No question in my mind. And and we're the richest country in the world, Nicole. I know. Not only that, we're the richest country in the history of, of the world. world. Yep. So if we can't give health care to more folks, I don't know who can. We can and we should. And now you talked on touched on Medicaid expansion. Yes. It's unconscionable to me that eight hundred thousand to a million of our fellow Floridians aren't going to have health care again tomorrow because wrong DeSantis says no. He's yep. wrong on that too. And, and I remember opening up one of my campaign offices in Miami-Dade County in a prior campaign and election. And there was a young man there. There was a big turnout. This is all pre-COVID, of course. Nice turnout there. And a young man in a wheelchair was there, probably in his early 30s. And so I'm drawn to people. And I was drawn to him. Um, got on my knee because I didn't want him to have to look up like little kids do if you don't kind of get down uh-huh. and get level with them. And I asked him, I said, now, I noticed you're here. I'm I'm honored that you came, but I'm curious, why are you here today for our campaign office opening here in Miami-Dade? And he said, one reason. I know you believe in expanding Medicaid, Mm. and I don't have health care. And if you win, I will get Medicaid. It's that important to people. And sometimes people who don't have empathy or compassion don't have that chip. They just don't get it. Uh, But I do have that chip, and in abundance, I hope, and I believe I do. 
I care about people and I want them to have good lives and a good quality of life and good health care during their life and not have it be so expensive that they go bankrupt or whatever. Um, this is what we need in a leader, in my humble opinion. We need somebody who truly cares about people. Men, women, children, black, white, gay, straight, you know, short, tall. You know, we're all, as I said earlier, children of God. And we deserve to have good lives and people who are in positions of authority that give a damn about us. I want to ask about marijuana. We live in the Sunshine State. Cannabis, there's a reason it's called weed, because it grows like weeds. We could grow it here. We could fill our coffers. It could be great for the economy. Where are you on the issue of recreational marijuana? Oh, I think we should legalize it. We should have done it yesterday. And then we'd be able to tax it, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. Talk about a revenue source for it. It would be incredible. We could use it to help pay our teachers more and not just give them bonus checks that bounce. I mean, you know, you can't make up this stuff, but that's what's going on. Plus, it's personal. Uh, I mentioned to you, I had three sisters. I have Mm -hmm. two now. My older sister passed. She got a a brain tumor and died from it. And I had to watch her have to deal with pain from that experience without having even medical marijuana at the time. And so it seems to me it's just the right thing to do. Uh, Frankly, I think it's probably a lot less harmful than alcohol. Oh, yeah. I I fully agree. I'm not a drinker, but I smoke. What do we do to help us in terms of the revenue Mm -hmm. addition to Florida? That could help us, as I said, with with education uh, and, you know, firefighters, you know, helping people that work in. Oh, in every front. Environmental issues. We've got the Everglades that, you know, are in trouble. Where are you on protecting the pristine environment here? Uh, I think I've been a huge champion for it. I know I have. In fact, I held the first climate change summit in the history of Florida as governor. Right. Did it with Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. I remember that. And it was the right thing to do because, you know, focusing, you know, we are a state that is so susceptible to climate change, probably the most susceptible to rising sea levels since we're almost an island being a peninsula. Uh, And so I think it's vitally important. And Nicole, as I've always felt, I think that the environment and the economy in our state are inextricably linked together because our largest industry is tourism. Why? Because people like to come to Florida. Why do they want to do that? Because she's beautiful. And so we have a duty in order to protect our economy, to protect our environment, because they do go hand in hand. And so I'm passionate about it. I wasn't born in Florida either. I was born in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. but my family moved to St. Pete when I was three years old. And I love this state. I love our people. And we've got to look out for our environment for their benefit and generations after us. We do. And, and you know, I feel bad in recent years. I've taken to calling it Florida because that's what we've become. This is a state that the, the rest of the country and the world, frankly, jokes about. Florida man. Seriously, I think it comes from the top down. In this case, we've had now 12 years. We had yeah. Rick Scott for eight and now Ron DeSantis. It's like, oh my God, please, a return to uh, normalcy. Sanity. Right, sanity. <laughs> well, we can do it. We can do it. And, and you know, I'll, I'll give you an analogy. Um, and people have suggested this to me. That, that my race may be similar to Joe Biden's race against Donald Trump. In, in Biden, we had a very seasoned, uh, very experienced, uh, very steady hand, somebody that people knew and, and had trust and confidence in. And his opponent, President Trump at the time, we had a rookie president, and he acted like it every oh single day. Embarrassing. In this race, yes. if I get the nomination, experienced, 
done the job itself before, mm-hmm. been attorney general of the state, commissioner of education for our public school system, and a state senator. On the other hand, we've got Ron DeSantis, a rookie governor who acts like it or worse every single day. Charlie Crist, I need to go here just because you're here and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Obviously, over the years, your ideas and positions change. That's normal. Everybody goes through changes. Your website, which is charliechrist.com, does not have your positions on different issues. This is a problem I have with a lot of candidates. And what I've noticed is the real progressive ones Mm-hmm. Put it all out there. You can go to their website and you can see where they are in education, on healthcare, on taxes, on infrastructure. You name it, it's there. It's not on your website, but I'll, it's not on Nikki Freed's either. Um, why Why don't you put it out there? Why, why isn't it on, it on there? That's a great criticism and I appreciate it very much and I'll fix it. Okay. Here's the delicate part. Sure. On LGBTQ issues. Over the years, your position has varied, I will say that. Back in the day when you were governor, you were against, I believe, same-sex marriage. You were certainly against gay couples adopting. You were just not good on issues for the LGBTQ community. In conjunction with that are the rumors. Now, what anybody does in the privacy of their home or with their personal relationships is their own business. The knock on you has been that there are these rumors floating around, have been for better part of a decade or more, that you're a closeted gay man, and that's not the issue. The issue has been you're not being good on issues for the gay community. Well, I'm not, number one, uh, which is fine. Um, But what it's important, I think, is I've evolved on the issue the same way President Obama has. Hmm. And I can remember him saying that, you know, he was uh, supportive of gay couples not being able to be married, but to cohabitate, to be together. Um, and then he came around during his presidency, right after President, well, Biden. Vice President Biden. <laughs> he, I think he sort of jumped the gun yes, on Yes, he him. did. Um, but I remember the president was so eloquent in this interview with a British uh, journalist, if I recall correctly. And he said, I have come to the view, this is President Obama, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, that, you know, who am I to judge? And who am I to tell other people who to love? And so for that reason, he said, I do support gay marriage and I will from now going forward. And I feel the same way and did it at about the same time. So, you know, people grow up, they get wiser, uh, they have greater compassion and greater understanding. And, you know, there's somebody that is to judge. It's not me. It's not you. It's somebody else. And um, and I think the right thing to do is to honor all people, as I said earlier, doesn't matter if they're gay or straight, black or white, short or tall. Or um, believer or atheist. That's right. Let me throw that out there because you made a few references to God and I'm actually one of those people who's not, I'm not, I don't have organized religion in my life and I I believe in the power of the universe, but I don't believe in a God. So, you know, uh, these are the things I think that there needs to be greater separation between church and state. And so your your references to God all the time, I love that that's your you know, belief and your conviction, but just know that not everybody in Florida has those beliefs. Which it's- is very fair, and you are right. Charlie Crist, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm impressed. You've answered every question I've thrown at you. and I've enjoyed interviewing with you, and I was just going to tell you, I'm, I'm never going to shy away from answering questions. I think it's so important if you're asking the people to put their trust in you and to, to give you their vote, which is precious, as John Lewis, my former colleague, used to always tell us. 
um, then the least you can do is be transparent uh, and be honest and be forthright. And I always strive to do that. I'm not perfect, but you know, you got to do the best that you can. And I know for the future of Florida, we need somebody who is a decent person who cares about people who will shoot you straight and tell you the truth. That should be and the I bottom line. That. Um, yeah. If you don't mind, because you're still a sitting congressman, let yeah. me ask you with what's going on there right now. There was a deal cut, as far as I understood, between the leaders. That, and the moderates, basically, I think is what you're alluding yes, to. Yes, and right, the, with the, the BIF, or the hard infrastructure bill, and the larger Build Back Better bill. And the progressives, right now, there's a bit of a standoff. Nancy Pelosi today backed off on the deal that they made and said, we're going to not do one without the other. They're married, they're joined together. Today, she said, well... We're going to go forward and have a vote on the BIF on Thursday and let the chips fall where they may, as far as I can tell. What are your thoughts on this? I think we need to do both. Uh, I don't care if they're together or separate. I just know that both of them need to be done. We need the, you know, the hard infrastructure bill, for lack of a better term, if you will, right. for roads, for bridges, for ports, Absolutely. and the things that we all know throughout America, certainly in Florida, need to be improved. Maybe get us a little high-speed rail, which we almost had before. <laughs> almost. But we also need the $3.5 trillion as well, in my view. And as it relates to Florida, where that could be enormously helpful is something you mentioned earlier, Everglades restoration. Oh, uh-huh. We could get $5 billion for Everglades restoration if we get that $3.5 trillion. So both of these are important to the Sunshine State. Both are important to America. I don't care if they're wedded, if they're apart, as long as both pass because that's what the country needs. And so you're on the record, no matter what order they come in, when you, you're a yes vote on both of them. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, the country needs it. We do. We're, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. People are still hurting. Some people don't have the empathy to realize it, but it is happening and it's real. And so, yeah, I'm willing to invest in America anytime, any day, anywhere. Awesome. Charlie Crist, thank you so much. I, I hope we can do this again. I really appreciate I your so time too. and your You're answers. You're great, man. Oh. You're wonderful. You do thank a great you, job. God thank bless you so you. much. Thank you. Really appreciate yeah. it. You take Universe care. Universe bless you. Let me do it that <laughs> thank, way. Thank you so much. That's Charlie Crist, the second of two candidates vying to defeat and delete the mini Trump currently killing my state. So what do you think? Are we going to be able to defeat DeSantis? Please, please, please. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the broadcast. Brad and Desi will be back next time to bring you up to speed on the deliberations in D.C. to deal with the debt ceiling and pass the president's Build Back Better agenda, Better Them Than Me. Until next time, I'm Nicole Sandler, wishing us all good luck. We really, really need it. Everybody.